0: Revelation 18, Revelation 18, we've got a lot of scriptures. While you turn to Revelation 18, what I'd like you to do is write some notes in the margin of your Bible. For Revelation 18, right next to that, Jeremiah 51. So next time in your devotions, you're reading through the book of Jeremiah, you want to correlate Jeremiah 51 with Revelation 18. You might even put there Isaiah 13, I preached on that several weeks ago. I believe a lot of what the Holy Spirit did in John's heart as he gave this revelation, chapter 18, some of the the thoughts came out of Jeremiah 51. Now I'm going to give you a short course tonight on economics. I mean a short course on economics, okay? Okay. And uh, you're going to see some things. I, I was telling a couple of the men that studying up for this a little bit. I kind of wanted to see what some of our some men look much more knowledgeable about prophecy than me and, and spend their life probably really studying it. It was kind of interesting to note that uh, of all the different commentators and messages on Revelation 18, uh, I didn't read one. Well, I had one that was close to it, but I don't, I don't think there was one that really looked at the economic failure of the world that's going to happen in, during the, that time. And I'm going to try to give you some perspective because as we read Revelation 18, it's, it's a warning and it's a reminder. And uh, I think we can sit very smug, especially right now if you have had a, um, you're somewhat you know, an investor of any kind, or you've just put your retirement money, your 401K, whatever it may be, TSA, stuff like that, into some fund, and it's done very well. I want you to imagine with me for just a minute, waking up one morning, or being at work, and in one hour, your entire portfolio went from whatever it is now to zero. I want you to think with me for just a minute. Or to find out, not only did that happen, your company's going to close that day and never reopen again. Or you can imagine with me today, Amazon, and I'm not picking on Amazon, but I just want to use an example. Amazon, which the man who owns the most shares of it, Jeff Bezos, I want you to imagine with me, because the Bible uses the word merchant, Amazon going out of business. That seems kind of Mind-boggling to me right now, amen. I've been following since we've been on the series retailers and restaurants driving down some of our streets just in San Leandro and other places. They're places that used to be in business before March 15th. They're not coming back. Bed Bath and Beyond's not coming back. Chuck E. Cheese has closed up a lot of locations. I mean, it's on and on and on and on. And you're fooling yourself if you think the boom in this economy right now is going to keep on like this. Notice Revelation 18. We're going to cover the whole chapter tonight. But notice the first five verses. Now, remember, Revelation 17 and 18 need to be combined because it's dealing with Babylon which symbolically is representing one world religion, one world government, and in Revelation 18, one world economy. And after these things, I saw another angel come down from heaven. Notice this, having great power. And the earth was lightened with his glory. Literally, there was an illumination as he came down to give this message. And he cried mightily with a strong voice. Well, that's encouragement for preaching, amen? He cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and it's become the habitation of devils, and the hold of every foul spirit, and a cage of every unclean, hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication, and the kings of the earth had committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. I want you to imagine with me for just a minute now. Okay, watch this. Enterprising companies, for profit companies, non profit companies, governments, whether federal, state, local, that's all in this. That's all in this. Merchants incorporates everyone that's for profit. Now, inside of this, we'll see this a little bit later, I believe this also incorporates illegal activities. The so-called black market, I guess if they call it that. All the illegal activities, the unreported uh, incomes that IRS doesn't have any knowledge of. Verse 4 says, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues, for her sins... Have reached unto heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. Jeremiah said the same thing. Now I want you to think of it here just a minute. This is talking about the world economies, governments, enterprising systems. At this point in time, wherever it's at in that last three and a half year period of time, her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered every one of Babylon's iniquities. Now, go with me to Genesis 47, please. Genesis 47. Genesis 47. I want you to see with me a failed economy. Once prosperous... But now it failed. Or actually a a, a world economy. Verse 14. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt. And in the land of Canaan. For the corn which they bought. And Joseph brought the money unto Pharaoh's house. This is all the money they collected from people that came to buy corn. Would you notice verse 15? And when money failed in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians, remember, Egypt is a picture of the world. All the Egyptians came unto Joseph and said, Give us bread, for why should we die in thy presence? For the money faileth. Our Father, tonight, I don't know a lot of all the intricacies, the depths of macroeconomics, currency translations, and all of these things. I do know one thing. It's the Lord, our God, who gives us the power to acquire wealth. We have nothing that has not been given to us by God. And I guess in some way tonight, Lord, I I pray that everyone who's watching by live stream, for the few here with me tonight, I pray that we would be stirred. I pray that as I prayed this morning that you will be exalted. That, Lord, we will see areas that should disturb us. And then when we're done, I pray that we're stirred to do something for God. Right now, Lord, you have blessed this church. I mean, Lord, you have blessed this church in 20 years, 21 years, in ways that I really don't know why. You've blessed people with jobs. You've brought people here. Your people have given in the millions to Faith Promise for the acquisition of this building, construction and build out of two more buildings, for maintenance, Repairs, vehicles, and on and on and on. I pray tonight that your spirit will work past the notes I've taken and give me a liberty not just to feed the souls of your congregation. But if this is the last time the trumpet should sound, like this mighty angel who came down from heaven and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, help me to be loud, help me to be clear. Help me to be compelling. Because Lord, I can't by myself. Thank you for giving us a wonderful day today in this morning service. Lord, I was wonderful to see so many of your people. And yet, on the other hand, It was just sad that we had to just come and go. I pray you keep our church safe, our people safe. I thank you for Brother Fidel. He's doing well. I thank you for two babies that were born healthy this week. Thank you for the lady that got saved on Monday. Thank you throughout this week for members of our church who went in for testing for uh, their health, for pre-existing conditions, and scans came up clear, I mean, things like that. That's just, Lord, we praise you for that. Thank you, bills are being paid. Thank you, people still have their jobs. But God, now tonight, we need you to do a work in our soul. Make us to lie down in the green pastures. Lead us beside the still waters. Restore our soul so that this week you can use us to do your work. We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have a pretty young church in terms of age. I remember when I was in my 20s. It still feels like yesterday. For those who are young, the idea of the Great Depression seems so far in the past. I mean, it feels like way in the past. But the Great Depression was when the financial markets and the economy of the United States crashed and failed. The Great Depression was the worst economic downturn in the history of the industrialized world. It lasted from 1929 to 1939. The Great Depression was preceded by what was known as the Roaring Twenties. They spent the next ten years through what they called the slumbering thirties. The stock market tanked and plunged. An overvalued stock market crash was the trigger for the Great Depression. Banks became insolvent. Real estate prices plummeted. The economy collapsed. Unemployment raged. In fact, unemployment right before it happened, went from 3.2 percent listen to the numbers went by 3.2 percent to as high as 25 percent in 1933. One-fourth of the working the workforce was unemployed. The government took a major leading role. The Great Depression set up a lot of things that FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, set up, including the Social Security system, to make this nation completely dependent upon the government to bail it out every time there's trouble. I want you to think about that for a minute. I think about Chrysler back in the 80s. That filed bankruptcy. And Lee Iacocco became an icon as far as magical CEOs. Went to the federal government for a loan and they bailed them out. And those who became shareholders in Christ's time came out very big. I think about 2008 when we had all the loan scandals that went on. Some of you might remember that and our real estate market went upside down. That just wasn't too long ago. I remember that one of the major participants in all the paper schemes that went on was AIG Insurance Company. If you know anything about AIG, AIG is the, was at one time the stalwart insurance company. If you talked to insurance circles, they would say if you wanted to put your money anywhere, AIG would never be in trouble. They, are the, they were, at that time, the major reinsurer for every insurance company to spread the risk out. Reinsurance means they spread the risk out. AIG got in trouble because of the loan scandals. AIG had to get help. I mean, the, the names go on and on. Revelation 18 speaks to us about the coming economic collapse that will topple the world financial markets, economies, and so forth. It will bring the world financially to the end and to its knees. It is the fulfillment of what we saw in Revelation chapter 6 of the third seal that was open and the rider and the black horse holding a pair of balances in his hands. He said here, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, and it's become the habitation of devils. Babylon has been the symbol of a one-world religion, one-world government for the rule of the beast. Babylon falling has been mentioned several times. Last week we saw Babylon, it's a one-world religion. And that one world religion will turn everyone worshiping the beast. If you can imagine this, all the religions of the world will have a compatibility with each other. They will be able to coexist in spite of their so called differences. In chapter 18, now we see the culmination of Babylon as a world economy. And as we look at this, I want you to go with me to 1 John chapter 2, because in understanding chapter 17, and 18 of Revelation, it's going to help us to understand 1 John chapter 2. It helps bring all of this into focus here. A much larger scale, a comprehensive scale, a biblical scale. 1 John 2, verses 15 to 17, very familiar verses. And Sunday school teachers, I like to encourage you to challenge the students to memorize these verses. And there's no reason why we shouldn't. But he says, love not the world. And I want you to circle the word world. Because the world, the word world is all encompassing as the world Babylon is. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in the world. I want you to think with me in terms of things that are in the world, the, the economies. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not the father of the world. Notice verse 17. And the world, which you notice this, passeth away. What we're going to see in chapter 18, what we saw in chapter 17, is the world passing away. It's temporary. It's going, to, it's going to disintegrate. It's going to burn and it's going to crash. The world passeth away and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. The songwriter said, this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Let me preface tonight's message for all of us. You ought to plan your life in anticipation of all the things you need to do. When I was in college, I was introduced to some things that really challenged me about the world and my life. It helped me to look in terms of what Proverbs says, The prudent man foreseeth the evil, and he hideth himself. With everything I'm going to tell you tonight, you still need to go on every day of your life as if you're going to live to 90, 100, whatever it may be. But you must live your life with caution and anticipation Jesus could come today. You ought to plan financially. You ought to plan for your family. The Bible says, If a man provideth not for his own, he's worse than the infidel. You ought to plan. You ought to make provision. You ought to be saving. Okay? Uh, Joseph, in anticipation that the, that of this seven year family, you know what he did? If you never paid attention to this, you know what he did? He set aside 20% of everything that harvests, that's, that's a good rule of thumb. You ought to set aside 20% minimum for your savings. I mean, there's insight the Bible gives about these things. But, but, the Bible uses in this chapter the word sorcery to describe the enticement and the seduction the world financially has on every one of us. And it does. You didn't believe that? You would not be working your job today. You would just go and pack up and hike up to the Alaskan wilderness and live off the land. Amen? There's an enticement. And we look at chapter 18 tonight, it's a sober reminder everything in this world is temporary. I have four things I want you to see tonight. First of all, I want you to see the conglomerations. We're going to take a short look in the beginning so we can have a perspective about the world economies, the conglomerations. Because as we read chapter 18, it's not talking about the United States specifically, or China specifically, or the European Union. It is talking about every nation of the world. We're talking about a conglomeration. Now, the ten largest economies, listen to me tonight, it's not in your notes, I don't think it is. The ten largest economies as of right now, the United States with a GDP, a gross domestic product, about 20 and a half, listen to this, 20 and a half trillion dollars. Right behind it is China, with a GDP of 13.4 trillion dollars. Scaling behind that is the European Union, listen to this, at almost five trillion dollars. Then there's Germany, Excuse me, then there's, uh, there's Japan, then Germany, then the United Kingdom, France, India, Italy, Brazil, and Canada. <coughs> Four of the nations on that top ten economy make up the EU. The U.S. GDP is projected to be at 21 trillion dollars this year, 2020. The world GDP, listen to this, the world GDP, I'm giving you these numbers so you can understand perspective what's going to happen in Revelation 18. The world gross domestic product last year, $92 trillion nominal. That means without getting to all the currency translation on a specific day, using US dollars. $92 trillion. That makes up 193 countries. Now stop with me for a minute. 193 functional economies produced last year $92 trillion in gross domestic product. Imagine all of that grinding to a halt and everything failing. I want you to think of me for just a minute. The wheels of the world stopping because of that. It, it gets even more intriguing. I was kind of looking up because, you know, oil and all that gets into this. And, you know, Saudi Arabia has a large economy, but nowhere near the United States or China. China it's the United States, China, Japan are the top three economies right now. Saudi Arabia has, comes in at $790 billion, so they make up a part of that, but in comparison to everything else, it's a fragment of that. The European Union, interesting enough, combined. The European Union combined would be the second, would be the second largest economy at $18.8 So the United States at about 21, the European Union at 18.8, then there's China, and that's interesting. Everyone's been trying to figure out for years, where does the United States fit in in, in the world in terms of all of this prophecy? We do know one thing, and I'll I'll say more about this. The United States makes up a major component of the wealth of this world. Listen to this. The U.S. stock market market cap is somewhere around $30 But of that, if you take out the gains and use what they call in economics the M3 money supply, the actual cash, or maybe I could probably say the basis on that, is about $6 trillion. That's a lot of money. That's the U.S. stock market. The largest banks in the United States, and I'm going to just take the top four or five, J.P. Morgan uh, Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo. The largest banks in the world, three of them are Chinese banks, ICBC, China Construction Bank, and then it follows J.P. Morgan's at number five. And when we think about economies, I want you to think with me, just in your mind, what that represents. Advertising, agriculture, automobile, which is humongous when you think about the automobile industry and, you know, just, just throw Tesla into the mix and all the, the countries in, you know, South Korea and Japan and, and Europe, United States. Banking, durable manufacturing, energy, entertainment and sports, finance and insurance. Government, healthcare, non-durable goods—you know the the goods goods that are uh, that will will have a three-year lifespan or less. Pension funds, real estate, retail, shipping, technology, tourism—I mean, that's that's everything there. The world economy is huge, brother and sister in Christ, but it's not bigger than God. Amen. It's coming down. It's coming down. Those numbers are staggering. If you're like me, you've got to keep counting the zeros to say, okay, did I hit trillion yet? You know? Those are staggering numbers. Now listen to what the Bible says in Revelation 18. About the wealth of the global economy. Right now, Revelation 18 describes how the global economy is lavishing itself and patting itself on the back. for Look at verse 3. He speaks about the abundance of her delicacies. He speaks about verse 7. She has glorified herself and lived deliciously. The world economy says, and this is a repeat out of of Jeremiah 51, I sit as a queen and am no widow. I, I can't, you know, when you think of a widow, the idea of it is a loss. The world economy says, I sit as a widow and there is no loss. Verse 10, the image of a city, that mighty city. Verse 12 to 14, look at all the merchandising we'll spend more time on. Look at all the merchandising. Heading the list is gold, silver, and precious stones. Verse 16, <clears throat> all her luxuries. Alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple, scarlet, decked with gold, precious stones, and pearls. Look at verse 19. That great city wherein we're made rich. Listen to this. In October 2019, Forbes magazine reported there are 621 billionaires in the United States. Fathom that for a minute. How much wealth is concentrated there? 621 billionaires. The combined net worth of the 400 richest Americans in the United States is 2.9, almost $3 trillion. Now I'm going to declare to you, they're not puppets per se. They're moving the wheels around here. Forbes also said this year, March 18, 2020, There are 2,095 billionaires in the world, 621 in the United States, 2,095 in this world. The combined net worth of all the world's billionaires is $8 trillion. Hey, can I tell you something? You can solve the world's hunger crisis with that kind of money, amen, and still have a lot left over. You could fix some infrastructures with that, but it's not going to happen. All of the world economies are mentioned here in chapter 18. Look at verse 3 again. He says, all nations and kings and merchants. That's a conglomeration. Verse 9, the kings of the earth. And as of this writing right now, as of tonight, 193 nations, 193 economies. Verse 11, the merchants of the earth. That's pretty big. You start dropping names. That's pretty big. Amen. The Walmarts, the Amazons, and on and on and on. The merchants of these things which were made rich by her, verse 15. And verse 23, for thy merchants were the great men of the earth. Now, I believe embedded in this, as I said, is all the illegal activities as well, which is in the billions of dollars as well, maybe even the trillions. Gambling, drug dealing, human trafficking, pornography, the legalization of previously banned drugs, which is big business, thefts and resales, on and on and on. Now, I want you to think with me for a minute Is point number one. Those are conglomerations. There's a lot of wealth out there. There is a lot of wealth out there. There's a lot of wealth being passed down multi-generations. Now, notice number two. We see conglomerations. Notice number two, we see corruption. An angel descends in verses one and two. This is the last three and a half years of the, of the, great, of the great tribulation. This is described as a mighty angel with a mighty message. He descends and he has a very sobering message about the fall of Babylon. I want you to see some things about the corruption of the world economies, which is why God says her sins have reached up to heaven. Number one, the world economy is a harlot. Now, he doesn't use that word harlot, but he describes it. Look at verse 3. All nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. And the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Look at verse 10. They were standing afar off. They're weeping. You have to go back to verse 9 because it talks about the kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived deliciously with her. They were standing afar for the fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city. It's a harlot. Every government, every billionaire, every wheeler dealer, every major corporation has drunk into the wine of her fornication, he said. It's been bit. Financial Babylon has been wagging that financial carrot in front of everyone. They bought in. They may have a different different product, a different service, a different twist in how they market it, but the end result, they've all all drunken from the same cup. They've all drank in the same Kool-Aid. They all approach business the same way. And that financial carrot Wags it in front of every young person. Prestige, promotion, prosperity. You've been around a little bit and working. You understand what I'm saying. Prestige, promotion, and prosperity. When you, someone gets a job offer, you think of prestige, the prospect promotion, and prosperity. That's what you think about. If you don't even plan to stay there long, you're thinking prestige, promotion, prosperity. verse 23, did you notice this statement? For by thy, the last part of the st- verse, for by thy sorceries, the word the same word we get our word pharm- pharmacia from. It's the word pharmacia. We get our word pharmaceuticals or drug dealing or intoxication. For by thy sorceries were all nations deceived. They all bit, bit the dust. Number one, it's a harlot. You go into any sector of the economy, there's corruption there. Double sets of books. Fraudulent deals. Things that go on behind the scenes. I mean, it's on and on and on. We can go into all the different crimes and things. God says here, you know, he's been watching for years. He says, your sins have reached up to heaven. I want you to notice the second thing. Look at verse 2. Not only is it a harlot, it's hellish. It's hellish. I mean, this is God's description. It's pretty strong. It's a habitation of devils and a hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, you don't think this, and I don't think this, per se, until you read this verse. But financial Babylon encompasses powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. I want you to think with me how morals have shifted over the years and have affected human resource policies and handbooks and cultures. And I want you to think with me of the unbiblical activities that go on at a typical corporate work site. They come out with this thing, the best places to work for. But nowhere in that is it mentioned is the best place to work for because it's a company known for its integrity or people of integrity. You don't find that there. Go look it up next time. The Bible says here, it is a stronghold for demonic activity. Now you think about that tomorrow when you go to work or you sign in because you're working from home. You think about that for a minute. Who do you know that has sold their soul to their corporation? They've sold their soul to their company. Their company owns them. Look what he says in verse 2. It's a cage. What's a cage? It's like a jail. It's it's an entrapment. A cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Jesus used a similar simile. In the parable of the sower, he talked about the fowls of the air snatching seed that fell on the wayside. They snatched it and devoured it. Hey, you watch this. I don't care who you work for. I don't care who you work for. I don't care if it's health care. I don't care if it's accounting. I don't care if it's legal. I don't care if it's pharmaceutical. I don't care if it's consulting. I don't care what it is. Construction. Nonprofit. You listen to me tonight. You go to work. And I don't care how good a devotion you had that morning. The Bible describes that work environment as a cage for every unclean bird, it describes it as a haven for demonic activity. And you can leave your home with a sweet attitude and the joy of Jesus Christ on your heart, but you get in there with people who don't agree with the Bible. Who don't agree with biblical lifestyle. You understand what I'm saying there. Biblical lifestyle is living for Jesus, being righteous, and having integrity, and not lying, and working on what they call gray areas. I'm amazed and sad in my heart. So many church members talk about gray areas. There are no gray areas. It's either black or white. There's no such thing as a gray area. Things get swept under the carpet. Men and women cheating on their, wives, their spouses and on and on and on. Drugging and partying. Cocaine deals. I mean, it goes on and on and on. It's a cage of unclean and hateful birds. And if it's got you caged up, you better follow the admonition he's got later on. You better get out of it, amen? It's a trap. Satan has these birds that are always looking. To snatch the good out of your heart. To snatch God's word. And if you could sit through preaching this morning, you work in that corporate environment, you could sit through preaching this morning and sit through preaching tonight, and it doesn't bother you and it doesn't stir you. You don't want to do something for God. If you don't have a desire to be filled with the Spirit, I'll tell you why. Because those unclean birds have swept down while you've been at work this week for 40 to 60 hours and it snatched the seed of the word of God out of your heart. Amen, Preacher. I'm going to say this tonight, and you can disagree with me all you want. It is a rare man or woman who is not driven by covetousness and a desire for gain. It's a rare man or woman. Paul said that the love of money is the root of all evil, and that's what we see here. Don't fool yourself, these billionaires who are, they, they, it's reported, well, they set up this foundation because, and they're, all this money they gave to philanthropy. Let me tell you, they set up the foundation for tax reasons. That was their motivation. They're not interested in all these other things. If they didn't have a tax problem, if they had a different alternative, they'd do something else. Think of all the illegal activities that men have sold their souls to. Think of the actors, and I did a little research this week on every prominent personality that's an atheist. Well, I got stirred this, this week reading that. I'm not going to drop names tonight. You can do it on your own. Because I learned I drop names, it doesn't bother some people. But think of all the actors and entertainers and athletes. I said in athletes. Who are avowed atheists and they their soul for the pursuit of money. It's hellish. It's haughty. Look at verse 7. And this is right out of Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah 51. She has glorified herself. Talk about narcissism, amen. And lived deliciously. She said in verse 7, I sit as a queen and am no widow. The more money, the bigger the net worth, the more haughty, the more proud, the more conceited, the more arrogant. They lift up their nose. They don't have time for you. They don't have time for anybody else. They don't have time for the, someone else, up and coming. They don't have time for that. They'll, they'll talk to you as long as you give them attention. They'll talk to you as long as you give them affirmation. It's hurtful. Look at verse 24. Now remember, the context of all this is during the tribulation. And in her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and all that were slain upon the earth. Next time you see political activism out out there, you should ask yourself this question. Who's financing this? I had a friend overseas, I won't mention the name, you'd know him. He asked me about some of the, all the stuff going on in the United States. He said, who's funding it? That was the first question. I said, good question. Good question. During World War II, all the atrocities committed against the Jews. Do you ever ask yourself the question, who funded it? Look it up. Look it up. Look it up. It was a religious institution. They had a lot of money. I'm going to say something about it when we get to the condemnation minute. But in verse 24, who's financing the killing off? Of the 144,000 witnesses, who's tracking them down? Who's financing the bloodshed of people getting converted during that time? We read about that. We studied that already in Revelation 7 and other, other chapters there. And he says here, this is it. And let me tell you something tonight. You're going to live for Jesus in your company. If You don't get canned from your job first. You're gonna be persecuted. And some of you young people that put all kinds of junk up on the on the internet through social media, you talk all your stuff. If, why don't you put some, why don't you put the plan of salvation under your, your social media site, amen? Why don't you put on there that you how to get saved? So all this stuff about enamoring yourself and telling everybody about what you're doing, embellishing yourself. Why don't you put on there the gospel message? Amen? amen. I want you to understand something. People will become so hardened during that tribulation period, it doesn't bother them that the bloodshed and the martyrdom of believers, who get people who get saved during that time, it doesn't bother them that it's financed by whoever those major corporations and governments of the world are at that time, just as it was during World War II. Who financed the Khmer Rouge? You ever think about that? Who financed all those rebellions? Who keeps it going? Who's keeping North Korea going? Amen? It's hurtful. It's heinous. Look at verse 5. Her sins have reached into heaven. God has remembered her iniquities. Financial Babylon is worshipped by everyone she has made rich. Remember the parable about the rich man Luke chapter 12? That's on a corporate level in Revelation 18. Soul, thou hast increased thyself with much goods. Let us eat, drink, and be merry. That's living deliciously. Look at the celebrities. Look at the, the high rollers in the corporate world. You know what they're doing in the evenings? They're partying. They they call it networking. They're not networking. Well, they are, but they're partying. They're doing their things. They celebrate a a good deal, a big deal that goes down. God's watching all this. That's watching all this come down. Now notice tonight, we see the conglomerations. We see the corruption. I want you to notice the condemnation. Revelation 18, I'm going to go down a bunch of things with you tonight. I want you to think with me about it tonight. I started off by giving you a small taste of the world economy, the global economy. Gross domestic product, billionaires, industries. I mean, it's huge. It's huge. And you want you to think with me tonight, what could it be, what could it be when we we look at, go back to Revelation 6, and the sealed judgments. What could happen in the world that brings down 193 economies to everything becomes zero? Why well, don't you to think with me right now? Remember when the pandemic started this year? Remember we got around about February, March, or something like that. Remember there were a couple of days when the market took a big hit. Remember that? It was a huge hit. Stop market. And Now the stock market is going crazy. Obviously, probably the best stock market gain for anything if you just look at just market values and caps and all that. And it's incredibly crazy in terms of how that's all going right now. But I want you to commit. And then remember back with me back in uh, 20 years ago when 911 happened and the World Trade Center happened. Remember what happened to the stock market the next day? Hey, listen, watch this. Okay. Wars, pandemics, all kinds of casualties. Stock market, these are all going to happen simultaneously. Simultaneously. It doesn't matter the currency. If the U.S. dollar still is the strong leading currency in the world, the benchmark for everything else, can you imagine what's going to happen to the world economies when the dollar crashes? Can you imagine with me even leading into that? That's all gonna to lead to the, the marker that the beast is going to give. I mean, this is going this is the beast taking control of everything because now he's got the he's got the world religions conquered, he's got the governments conquered, now he's all he got to do is conquer the money supply chain and everything I going to do. And by the way, as we look at chapter 18, there is no money. Everything is paperless, everything's done by a mark on the head, or mark on the right hand. It's pretty scary. If you're living during that time. And I want you to notice here. I want you to see with me what God has to say in verse 6. Reward her even as she rewarded you. And double unto her, double according to her works. And the cup which she has filled, filled to her double. That's right out of Jeremiah. Jeremiah. kind of judgment will be on this world economy? Well, number one, it's going to be sweeping. Look at verse 8. Do you notice the choice of words God uses? Therefore shall her plagues come in one day. One day. There's no, there's no symbolism there. It literally means what it says. In one day, the entire world economies are coming down. The word plagues doesn't mean a pandemic. We've already read about those. The word for plagues has the idea of a wound, a blow, like, if you, like a boxer getting a good shot to someone's head, and he gives them a good blow to knock them out. It also means this. Write this down. It also means a public calamity. Wow. Now go back and look at the context of that in verse 8. Her plagues or public calamity shall come in one day. It'll be a... Listen, listen. we saw the Great Depression. The Great Depression is like a picnic, a church picnic compared to this. Verse 8. Her plagues will come in one day. And notice this. Death and mourning and famine. Wow. Everyone who has a financial loss, who realizes they can't recover. I believe there's going to be mass suicides. Deaths, mourning, the strongest man of the world, because the beast is in control. He doesn't want any, he doesn't want any competition. He's demonized. He's controlled by Satan. Those billionaires who sold their souls off to Satan, they're going to be in for a rude surprise if during that time. And famine. We already saw that. It's that third seal. That's describing this, this latter part of this great tribulation period. Look at verse 11. It's so sweeping. And the merchants of the earth, everyone who does business, Shall weep and moan over. Look at the last part. For no man buyeth their merchandise. Next, the Lotus two words. Anymore. Wow. You have no market. That's what it's saying there. Mercedes-Benz won't have a market. Tesla won't have a market. You name the company. They won't have a market. Wherever they may be, whatever it is, they don't have a market anymore. Their merchandise, no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. Look at verse 12 to 14. Every commodity, good, and service, and I'm using it as a substitution. He says this, going down to verse 14. Are departed from thee, and thou shalt find them no more at all. Hey, did you see those words? Next time look at it. Have you been noticing all the companies that are going bankrupt this year? One of the key phrases you read in some of the articles, there will be no more. There'll be no more. That's what God thinks about that. A corporation elevates itself above God or thinks it's equal to God, there'll be no more. Look at verse 17. And that means all brand names are gone. Brand names don't mean anything in that day. Look at verse 17. For in one hour, so great riches has come to naught or nothing. Wow. There it is. Net worth down to zero. Net worth down to zero. So great riches come to naught. No industry is exempt. The bond market will collapse. Real estate market will never recover. Stock market will never recover. I mean, whatever it may be currency, I don't care if it's Bitcoin, it doesn't matter what kind of cryptocurrency, whatever it may be, all of it is going to collapse. It's gone. Zero. It'll be sweeping. Secondly, it'll be sudden. He said one day. It's not going to be over a period of time, it's going to be sudden. One day. It's going to be swift. Look at verse 10. In one hour is thy judgment come. Verse 17. In one hour so great riches has come to naught. In verse 19. In one hour she's made desolate. One hour. Yeah, corporation. Yeah, billionaire. Yeah, atheist. Keep shaking your fist in the face of a mighty God. In one hour you'll be no more. And that's who you're selling your soul to. You're looking wide eyed at, at, the, at the dollars and all the opportunities and everything, not realizing their sins have reached up to heaven. You, know, you say, Pastor, does that mean I shouldn't work? No, I'm not telling you not to work. You say, Pastor, that means I shouldn't be successful. No, that's not, the Pastor didn't say you shouldn't be successful. You're know, you saying, Pastor, that we should give away our money? I think you need to be giving. Amen. But you better be careful who owns what. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Things. That's what God calls them. Things. It'll be severe. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. How much she has glorified herself and lived deliciously. Notice this. So much torment and sorrow give her. They're all going to feel it. Look at verse fifteen. <clears throat> the merchants of these things, which were made rich by her, shall stand afar off, for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. The word torment implies the black touchstone that was used to determine the real, the real, the rather not gold and silver was the real thing, and they would take this black touchstone and they would scrape the gold or silver on it, the nugget, and the color would tell you whether it was genuine or not genuine. <clears throat> God's going to prove that money's nothing. Money's going to fail. Look at the numerous times the word no more is used. Verse 11, no man buyeth their merchandise anymore. Verse 14, thou shalt find them no more. Verse 21, and the mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and cast into the sea, saying, Thus with violence shall that great city Babylon be thrown down and shall be found no more at all. The world economy will be no more. I like, in fact, you look at the, the illustration uses. He uses use the illustration of a great millstone cast around the neck of the city and cast into the water, into the Mediterranean Sea and sink to the bottom. Same example is used over in Jeremiah 51. In verse 22, look at it. Let's read verse 22. And the voice of harpers and musicians and of pipers and trumpeters shall be heard no more in thee. And no craftsman or whatever soever crafty be shall be found any more in thee. And the sound of a millstone shall be heard no more at thee. And the light of a candle shall shall shine no more at all in thee. And the voice of the bridegroom and of the bride shall be heard no more at all in thee. For thy merchants were the great men of the earth. For by thy services were all nations saved. You know what he's saying there? There will be no more music. Music industry is going to crash. There will be no joy, no singing, no more music, no more manufacturing. No more merchandising. Notice verse 18. No more marriages. It will silence. Look at verse 22. Those sounds will be no more to be heard. There'll be wailing and crying. It'll be snuffed. Look at verse 23. And the light of a candle shall shine no more at all. Listen, the brightness of these, these huge financial centers. I mean, I can imagine this, and I'll get into this in a moment. Wall Street, New York, London, great cities in China and India, Japan, everywhere, France and so forth. The light's going to go out. It will smolder. Look at verses 8 and 9. Therefore shall her place come in one day, death and mourning and famine, and she shall be utterly burned with fire. Wow. For strong is the Lord God who judges her. I had to throw that in. Verse nine: And the kings of the earth who have committed fornication and to live deliciously with her shall bewail well and lament for her when they shall see the smoke of her burning. You know what? That literally could mean that these nu- that nuclear warheads will hit these cities and will, will contribute to these. Demise, it'll be like 911 when the planes crash into the World Trade Center. Can you imagine entire major financial centers around the world? There are many of them. Can you imagine nuclear bombs going off, burning down those entire cities, infrastructures going down, chief financial officers, CEOs going down? I mean, just think of all the calamity. Think about the computer systems of the world going down. The so-called cloud being, being protected, the cloud goes down. <laughs> because the Bible says, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. I don't care how many trillions of dollars the world economy is. It is not greater than God. The world economy owes its success to God himself. Literally, people's accumulations will go up in smoke. It's going to bring sorrow. We've read that over and over again. Weeping and wailing. Lamentation and bewailing. Look at verse 19. They cast dust on their heads and cried, weeping and wailing. Brother and in Christ, the Bible doesn't give us specific names. And it would be wrong for us to insert names right now because we don't know. We can conjecture that if it happened today what we think that means... And I want to be careful to say, well, I think it needs a little more time. I think things are happening right now that are in motion. They're going to set everybody up for a big surprise. We're all going to hurt. We're all going to cry. We're not going to go through this, but I remind you, this is during the tribulation time. Now, there's some counsel I want to give you as we end tonight. Yes, there's corruption. Yes, there's condemnation, but there's some counsel. What does God have to say about all this for us? Look at verse 20. First of all, God's justice will have been served. I think that's important for us to understand. God's justice will have been served. Look what he says in verse 20. Rejoice over her, thou heaven. You see, when we look through the islands of living here on earth, it's hard for us to see the things I described about this world economy. But from God's islands, it's just like when you go back to Revelation, uh, Genesis 4, remember, after Cain, we see the industrialization of the world through the, the lineage of Cain. Go read that again. Okay? The industrialization of the world came through the lineage of Cain. There's no mention of God in the lineage of Cain, it's all apostasy. It wasn't until Seth was born do we find the lineage of God, that we find mention of the lineage of God, of the people of God. He says, Rejoice over her, thou heaven, and ye holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. We get these, uh, some of you have worked for companies that do matching donations. That's a good thing. Thank you for those of you who, during those windows of opportunity where they allowed it to be given to a church, That uh, Thank you for thinking about the church, and that helped build our building program. Several of you just participated, took advantage of that, and there were matching contributions that God, you would have given without it, but thank God that there was a matching contribution. Praise God for that. But we've watched over time, as they have very stringent stipulations, in order for the match to happen, what we do as a church doesn't fit. It doesn't fit what they want in terms of, you know, what they want to match. And what they're basically saying is, uh, if you're a social gospel, we're fine. But you preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's not our cup of tea. We're really not interested in that. God's justice has been served in Revelation 18. Whether we like it or not, that's what it is. Secondly, look at verse 4. The second word of counsel. Now, first of all, as I read verse 4 to you, this is in context to believers who are alive during the tribulation, but there's some good context for us here today, too. And I heard another voice from heaven. It wasn't the same mighty angel. It could be God himself speaking. Come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues, her public calamities. Biblical separation, not a popular topic today. That's why you have these young fundamentalists, they can't identify, they cannot identify with me or someone who holds the fundamentals of faith because biblical separation is too strong for them. You know, one of the hallmarks and tenets of being a Baptist is biblical separation, separation from the world ecclesiastical separation. They don't, they don't want to do that because they want to have their kumbayas and their ecumenicalism and, and all that kind of stuff there. But God clearly says here, come out of her, my, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins, that you receive not her place. Let me tell you something tonight. You're, you're going to sell, if you've sold yourself out to the world, and you've sold yourself out to your corporation, and your so-called career, you're in for a surprise because one day it's going to all blow up on you. You're going to wonder what happened there. And you're going to be a very broken person. And God is telling us here, before you sell yourself out, get out of it. Come out of her. Come out of her. 2 Corinthians 6 14. Be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. This is the third thing. God's justice has been served, there's a call to separation, but there's a warning to those who are well to do. Our world economy right now, our global economy, and even our national economy, people are doing better today than they ever have. But I remind you of the words that James wrote to the well to do people of his time. By the way, if you've got a job, you've got a roof over your head, you're well to do. You can pay your bills, you're well to do. If, if you don't believe that, you need to go with me on a missions trip to some of these foreign countries we've been to and see what it really means to live in poverty. Poverty here is nothing compared to overseas. It is nothing. You can get welfare here. You can get government assistance here. You go overseas, <laughs> it's a whole different world. And this is what he said Go to now, right now, ye rich men. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted, and your garments are moth eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. You have heaped treasures together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth. And the cries of them which have reaped are entered to the ears of the Lord of the Sabbath. For you have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. You have nourished your hearts as in a day of slaughter. It's a word for those who are well to do. You're living for self. God has a word about that. Albert Lexi, 1981, went to children's hospital in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And set up a little shoe shine stand. He was very entrepreneurial. He thought there's a lot of traffic goes through here. I'm just willing to bet there's some doctors and people that come in that wouldn't mind getting their shoes shined. He charged $5 to shine shoes. People tipped him. Sometimes they tipped him more than he actually charged. He retired in 2013, 32 years later. They held a great farewell party for Albert Lexi. The hospital did. Not because they were gonna miss his shoe, shining of shoes. But because Albert Lexi, during the time he was shining shoes, you, you figure out the math. You're not a, you're not gonna, you're not gonna, you're not gonna become independently wealthy as a shoe salesman or his shining shoes. Albert Lexi gave all of the tips he received for 32 years. All of the tips he received were quite a few. And up to 30% of what he made. And they calculated that he gave in excess of $200,000 in 32 years. To the, what was called the Hospital Free Care Fund for needy parents who brought their kids to Children's but they didn't have enough insurance or they didn't have insurance and their kids were in critical need and the hospital out of compassion for those people set up this hospital needy care fund for these parents. He became burdened about that and he gave one-third of his earnings off the top plus all of his tips into that fund. This morning we saw a verse of scripture, I think it was Jer- uh, Isaiah 32.8. And it talked about the liberal, the generous, the giving. Can I encourage you about something tonight? As we look in the light of all this, because Jesus could come tonight, he might delay his coming another 10, 20 years. But there's some foundational principles we can apply right now. Be a generous Christian. Six weeks from now, we have our Faith Promise Missions Conference. I want to plant this seed in your mind right now. As of today, we haven't taken on a lot of new missionaries this year. A lot of missionaries are stuck. New missionaries as far as getting out there. There's a few I'm still studying and vetting out. I'm going to ask our church, and I'm planting the seeds in your heart right now. I want you to keep whatever you pledged for this past year the same. And it was a record-breaking pledge. But I want to encourage everyone, and I'm going to start it. I want to encourage everyone to give an extra amount as a one-time gift that we can use to help finance special projects for our missionaries around the world. This year we've been doing a lot of financing a special project, but I want to do it even more so than ever before. My dream one day... As long God gives me breath. My dream one day is that we might be able to help a missionary start a hospital. We can provide the C capital for that. My hope right now is I want to help several missionaries get their Bible colleges started as far as the infrastructure of a building. My desire is to help several of our missionaries buy vehicles that can transport people from one location to another. But I'm going to tell you how it's going to happen. We can't do that unless there's some generous people willing to set aside some funds to make it happen. We just sent some monies to church, or in the process of sending some monies to church to help several of our missionaries because of the pandemic where there's widespread hunger right now in their areas. And I'm not talking one handful. Quite a few of them. And I want to tell you right now, while... You are enjoying yourself, staying at home. I thank God we've got some missionaries right now, and I can't mention names because, because we're on live stream. We've got some missionaries right now that are getting the job done. we got one man right now just wrote me this morning, got the message at 5.30 this morning, I was up praying. He said, Preacher, here's a picture. Two Muslim ladies came to their church services, got saved today. Last week, five men got saved, one of which was an avowed Hindu. They just got out of the pandemic. They just reopened their country two weeks ago. Now, while you're worried about your face mask, if you're going to catch cooties from somebody, amen, while you're worried about that, I remind you today, there's still people dying going to hell. I remind you today, we got people in the hospital right now, we can't even get in to visit, but I've done a hospital video with the gospel on it, that I'm trying to get people, as they get there, get folks in there, they can take that gospel video and on an iPad, show them how, let them hear the plan of salvation right on there. I'm asking you as a church member to write down some names of some family members and people you know that you can introduce me to so I can come alongside of you and together we can win these people to Christ. We need some generous people. You change our attitude and our outlook. You ought to come to church because you love coming to church. It grieves my heart. I feel like right now that this increase in the pandemic is not just because of carelessness on the part of other people. I really believe with all my heart, a segment of God's people, broadly speaking, have not come back to church with a heart of rejoicing to be in church. I understand our concern about catching it. There comes a point in time, you just got to decide you're going to obey God, not listen to man. Jesus comes tonight, determine your heart. You're going to be a generous, giving Christian. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, and running over, shall men give back into your bosom. That's a biblical principle. Let's be generous. Don't be paralyzed by a pandemic. Let's use it as an opportunity to get the gospel to as many people as we can. And we're not stopping what we're doing. We're going to find every way we can, whether we're in person or not in person, whatever it is, we're going to find every way we can to get the gospel to people. I'm not going to let it hinder us. We're going to go on. I feel like we're working twice as hard, three times as hard as just a lot of things we're doing to try to make sure things are going right. And I need God's people to say, you know what? We're in it all the way. We're going to tell you about a ministry we're going to start up. In spite of all this, it's going to start off, it's going to start off a little bit, someone on a virtual side first, one of new many ministries, we pray. We're just about to get used to the fact that the, some of the things we're using, technology we're using now, that's going to be the way we're going to have to be doing church for a little while here. I just think the government feels like right now the way it's at, that they just enjoy doing things the way they are. And I'm going to tell you right now, you keep watching this, it's going to be over a period of time, there's going to be a lot of industries collapsing during, during, this, during this pandemic. There's no more JCPenney, guys. Places, places like that. I mean, you, you look at these of these strip malls around here. I mean, some of these malls around here, I mean, the places are closed. And some of these entertainment places, they're closed. You don't think God's not at work in this? I mean, what did God do through this pandemic to the sports industry? Alcohol, bars are shut down. And now they fill the churches with that. I mean, you can go on and on and on. You're going to tell me that's an accident? That's not an accident. For Lord God is strong who judges these. We better acknowledge God in His sovereignty and His greatness and His mightiness. You know, tonight, if you're watching, be a good steward. Number two, if you're not saved, I pray this evening that you realize what's contained here in the Bible is true and it's accurate and it's going to happen. The Bible has a way out for you, and that's through God's Son, Jesus Christ. You can be saved tonight and make sure you're going to heaven.